Hey guys, Dylan from Art of the Float here to talk to you about our upcoming roundtable discussion on March 1st. I really want to see you there. It's going to be an exciting community event where we're going to be talking about defining your brand. We're getting good at water maintenance, we're getting good at soundproofing, but we're not great at filling up our float tanks with customers. Our industry's marketing game needs to improve, so we here at Art of the Float are hosting community roundtable discussions online to improve our marketing game. I think the most important thing about branding is the fact that it's the base for all of your marketing. Join Amy, Lance, myself, and the rest of the Float community as we get together and deep dive into what a brand is, how it benefits your business, and how it brings customers through your door. Defining your brand is our first roundtable experience of 2017, and we'll set you up for future marketing roundtables throughout this year. There's no need to waste your valuable time and money. This is a small investment that will potentially save you thousands of dollars and certainly hundreds of hours over the lifetime of your business. Go to artofthefloat.com forward slash roundtable and see our full list of roundtable discussions happening in 2017. Sign up now and we'll see you on March 1st. Enjoy the show. You're listening to Art of the Float. Welcome to Art of the Float, where float centers thrive. This is our weekly podcast that tells our stories of starting and running our own float centers while providing tips and insights along the way. As always, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Art of the Float. And we love it when you hear your voice. You can always join the conversation on the show by leaving a speak pipe. It's a little voicemail option. Go to artofthefloat.com and click on the gold bar on the left side of the screen. That's where you can leave a voicemail for us. We'll play it on the show, give your opinions on anything we talk about in today's episodes, ask any follow-up questions, all that good stuff. Uh, we'll definitely get back to you on that. Uh, artofthefloat.com is also you can, where you can see any links uh, to anything we talk about, pictures, anything we talk about will we'll be in our show notes page as well. I am your co-host, Dylan. I um, own The Float Shop with my wife, Sandra Calm, in Portland, Oregon. I'm joined with Amy of Float Nashville, Lance of The Float Shack in Red Deer, Alberta, Canada. And um, gosh, just a quick uh, thank you to everybody who's supporting us with the Amazon click-through links. We've noticed a surge in that and absolutely appreciate it. Um, again, if you go to artofthefloat.com on the products page, you can see a link to the Amazon um, click-through link. If you bookmark that, anytime you shop on Amazon, just a, a couple couple little doubloons come our way and it helps uh helps sail this ship so thanks so much for that uh also want to let you know that we're all available for consulting as well if you want assistance in setting up designing and planning your float center uh we we enjoy that uh so much and we'd, we'd love to join you in that process i am excited to uh well i'm excited for a few things on uh, today's episode it's a, it's a really cool one we're going to be bringing jason mcdonald on the show uh, and it's probably a very familiar name to a lot of the people in the industry. For those of you who are not familiar, he's part of the health department in Alberta, Canada. And um, I'd say he's, well, I'll, I'll let him say if he's a pioneer and if he's helping lead lead the industry <laughs> for the for the health department. But uh, that that's certainly my impression. Uh, I'm I'm also excited to uh, announce our new advertiser, Cal uh, California Float Concepts. We had. Um, Zach on last week, and we had such a good time with him and are so excited about his float tank. We thought it would only make sense to bring him on the show as well as an advertiser, which he was super game for. Uh, California Float Concepts has a new float tank.
development coming out within just a couple months here. And it is just breaking all sorts of new ground as far as what a float tank can do for you. It adds salt for you if you want it as a feature. You can add, I believe it's 150 pounds of extra Epsom salt that can add uh, automatically between floats in case there's, um, uh, there's a sensor that will let you know when the salt gets low. Um, and we'll get into uh, more of the features uh, during a, a few of the other ads that we have here, but it's absolutely remarkable what this, what this float tank is doing. So I'm excited about that, and I hope you guys check it out. If you're not already interested, uh, simply because of all the amazing stuff this float tank does already, including uh, sound dampening within the float tank itself, it's being optimized for heat retention, but the price tag is only $30,000, which is just phenomenal for everything that you get with this float tank. So it would be uh, silly, and you would be remiss not to look into cafloatconcepts.com, uh, where you can see all the features that's, that this float tank has. Amy and Lance, how are you doing? Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. How are you? Uh, I'm I'm good. I'm excited. Uh, the virtual roundtable, we're launching that. Uh, we have six virtual roundtables that are going on this year that are an awesome opportunity for the community to get together and just uh, stand on each other's shoulders, basically. So that's going to be a lot of fun. That's March 1st. I encourage everybody to go there and check it out. Oh, I guess I, sh I should really mention, hey, I, I do business, um, is that if you are listening to this podcast today, it is the last day for you to get the early bird discount. So if you want to join us March 1st, uh, go ahead and uh, check it out today and and uh, click that buy button or else it's going to be more expensive leading up to the, the day of the um, day of the round table. Um, so yeah, excited about that. How about you guys? I'm good. <laughs> what's that what's going on with you lance uh not too much it's really just been work 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 um mm -hmm. had a surge in definitely gift card sales today for valentine's and uh online sales especially seem to be coming out of nowhere and really getting getting sold so that's pretty cool uh, but we've just been focusing a lot on retention and just uh trying to shift more to getting the clients that have already floated back into our doors and um, not worrying so much about getting new people into the doors. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, that's taken a, a bit of shift at how we do things and a bit of a learning curve. Um, but it's fun. It's, it's good. It's getting, getting these people back in and they know what's going on. They know what works for them. And yeah. So I'm curious, what kind of tactics are you using mm -hmm. to, to get them back in? Because, you know, retention is an issue overall in this industry. We all right. know that it takes more than one time to really get the feel of a float. So we're all looking for ideas to get people back. Well, the, I think the, the biggest thing is, is we're focusing on more one-on-one -on -one time with the client. So um, really mm -hmm. interacting with them more, trying to, um, if there's two of us on staff, one person is cleaning and the other person is strictly um, chatting with customers. We sort of had it no real set way of doing it. We'd be running back and forth trying to juggle both, but we're, yeah. we're really just trying to get that more one-on-one -on -one time and getting them to stick around longer after their float um, so we can have the right opportunity and space. That's and right. You had mentioned that before, encouraging them staying later so that that transition can kind of wrap up itself and then you can give them your full attention. Yeah, so just yeah, still focusing on that and and um, callbacks too. Just making sure we're calling those people back, 
um, seeing if how their experience was, seeing if we can improve on anything, um, seeing if they need any tips or tricks for their next floats, just really getting nitty gritty with the customers. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, Amy, how about you? What have you guys been working on? You know, it is Valentine's Day, and we're certainly focusing on those yeah. gift card sales. Uh, like I, I've mentioned in the past, we don't do discounts on Valentine's mm -hmm. Day floats. Mm -hmm. um, it just doesn't make sense to us. Uh, but what we have been focusing on is using it as an opportunity to really connect with our clients, spend a little bit more time interacting with them, um, and finding out what we can, of course, what we can do to, to be better. But I'll tell you, one of the best things that happened this week mm -hmm. is on a whim, I went on Facebook, did a Facebook Live, and asked people in the comments below to put a picture of something they, something or someone that they love, something that lights them up, mm -hmm. and to tag a friend. And we would randomly choose uh, a person to win two floats. And nice. that just took off like freaking crazy nice. and my it was insane uh we had so many responses but the the really cool thing about it not only do we have a lot of responses get a lot of organic growth which on facebook goes a long long way yes, the more yes. organic growth that you can get the better off you uh, appear in people's or the more often you appear in people's uh feeds yep but the cool thing is is you've got to get a feel for who your clients are and what is important oh, to them nice and we found out a few of our clients are doing some pretty extraordinary things so there were some clients mentioning some some uh initiatives they were working on hmm. we i found out one client is uh, he's a makeup artist and he is focusing on women who have well he said he started doing it to empower women but he's now focusing on women who have had cancer um, who have gone through some difficult times and he's doing some really cool stuff so we reached out to him and we're starting conversations so wow, what ended cool. what started as something very simple and benign ended up opening a lot of doors it allowed us to get a lot of organic um, feeds so when you give people a chance to share a little bit of themselves huh. really good things happen so we're going to start doing that probably once a month or uh, once oh, every other month or so because um, it so just cool. led to so many opportunities yeah uh, i love that because it, it hits the beats of like we don't just want to have sales and and it's not it, technically, it's gimmicky in that it, you're trying to drive organic, uh, you know, Facebook to recognize it as a something people want to see. But the sincerity that's driving through it and that other community is putting into it makes it something very real, which I absolutely love. How did you come up with that in the first place? I have no idea. I don't know. I kind of like I said, I really did do it on a whim. It was just. Um, it was just honestly. I'm trying to think if I if I saw anything. I think somebody on a like on a friend's page was sharing one of those memes like share the seventh picture in your phone or something right. like that. And <laughs> Lord knows nobody, you know, <laughs> there's too many surprises that can happen there. We don't <laughs> want to do that. But um, but I started thinking about it. It's like I really I really wanted to to give some love to our clients. And when they shared something that they loved, it gave me an opportunity. And th I think this was an important part of it. I made an effort to sit at the computer, and I was at the computer almost all day yesterday, responding very sincerely, giving compliments, <laughs> um, being loving, <laughs> in, um, just because that's what I wanted to give for Valentine's Day. That was a, a way nice. of showing love. And it just uh. just organically led to so many, <laughs> so many cool things. I didn't expect the organic uh, right 
amount of organic uh, feed that we got. Mm-hmm. But it was turned out this beautiful thing, and I'm sitting at the computer, and every few seconds I'm I'm texting my business partner, and I'm like laughing at some of them, sure. I'm smiling at some of them, <laughs> and I started like tearing up at some of them. Um, but if you want to see something very cool, you can go to Float Nashville's page, and you can see my silly little uh, video, and uh, and check out the comments. Don't worry about the video, but check out the comments below, and it is the most beautiful thing. Ever. What a great way to share love on Valentine's Day. So, so you did a video for it? I didn't catch that. I did. I okay. did. I, I've been doing Facebook Lives very, very regularly. Good. And so then everybody uh, should watch that. Don't just go to the comments. Watch <laughs> Amy live because she's well, been doing it for a while. Learning. You're good. You're good. I'm, I'm still learning. But it was fun. It was so much fun. And it was Love something it. that I think other people should try because people do want to share what's important to them. And yeah. it behooves us to know that on many levels. Uh, you know, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to talk about it this week or not, but um, just as far as my week goes, uh, of yeah. course, talking about the, the roundtable and everything is really exciting. But I also had to let an employee go who has been part of the business since almost since its inception. Uh, and it was it was the most difficult choice Sandra and I have ever had to make in our business. And it's absolutely devastating. And it's it's got us totally wrecked. I mean, completely wrecked. And I, I just kind of I feel like that's that's part of what this podcast is about is sharing the sharing the ups and the downs and this is just an absolutely brutal one um and everybody knew it needed to happen i mean everybody the sandra myself and and the third party we we all knew it was it was the right thing to do but that doesn't make it any easier like almost like a breakup you know like you can intellectually know it's the right thing but uh that doesn't mean you're not gonna you're not gonna cry over it you know and and um maybe, maybe get kind of depressed about it. So, um, I'm hoping that, uh, our, our friendships will, will make it through this. And I mean, what a delicate ride we've been on with, with friendship and business and all of that for, for so long. So, uh, it's very difficult and, um, yeah, just want to, just want to let everybody know that's, that's also just something, something going on with us this week. You know, I think that's one of the hard, obviously, one of the hardest things to do as as an owner. I think is for me one of the most difficult things has been managing employees. But can you tell us or share a little bit about how you knew it was time and how you came to that decision and kind of the process that you went through? And you know, that might help some other people that are perhaps in that situation because I know you're not the only one. I, I know, right? Uh, so yeah. that uh, that that's something that's something we have talked about in the past, and and this one is so fresh. I'm uh, trip. I'm, I'm concerned about saying too much. Um, and I, and if, if ever this, this got back to that person, which it very easily could, I would feel very nervous about saying anything that felt inappropriate, you know? So um, what I do know, and just, just something that we've said before, is you tend to know it's time before you're willing to commit to it. And, and there can be this lead-up time. This, there can be a, a loss of, um, like, effective work done during that time. Um, a- animosity can build up and, um, yeah, I think it's better to, once you start noticing those things, try to nip it in the bud, whether it's, you know, emails and meetings or, or letting somebody go right away rather than letting something grow. And, and th- in this case, I don't think that's as, as much the case, but I think it's just as a general rule. I think that's a really safe, safe thing to say. Um, yeah, that's all I want to say about it for now, if that's all right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, <laughs> it sucks cause we're in a small business. We're not, we're not fortune 500 here, you know, like we're, we're families in our businesses and you bond with these people so much. So it's, uh, mm, 
just sucks. But I also yeah, think it'll be for tough. the best for both parties. So that that's the other thing to realize. Again, like a breakup, it's like, hey, if this isn't working out, you know you're going to find somebody that you're happier with. And I know this person is going to have awesome uh, career development and will be happier in the future as well. So um, try, <laughs> sorry, uh, just trying to focus on that. Um, let's see here. <laughs> is there anything else you guys want to share about your weeks before we move on here? All right. Well, Not I'm excited. Mine. <laughs> I want to bring Jason on. That on. Sad note. I know, right? But <laughs> no, no, we can't segue to float helm on a sad note. Um, you know what doesn't have any emotions involved? Water maintenance metrics. That's right. Float helm can can track all of your <laughs> can track all of your metrics, uh, which which is awesome, right? If you're dealing with any health department. And let's say uh, something changes with your health department and you suddenly need to start tracking something, uh, you're going to look like a rock star with these people if you've already been tracking it since the day that you opened. So uh, FloatHelm knows what it is that you want to track and already has those things set up in there. You can modify things. Actually, it's not um, just... Uh, you, you can uh, adjust the settings and such and set uh, what you want your employees to um, set it to because also, you know, different um, different cities and states are have different requirements, so you can adjust it, um, although they what set it up What kind of metrics? Uh, yeah, great questions. Uh, or great question. Bromine, hydrogen peroxide, uh, salinity, uh, water depth. Let's see here. What am I missing? Temperature. Uh, let's see here. Those are the ones that come to mind. Oh, pH, alkalinity. Yeah, so chlorine, if you have to use chlorine, North Dakota. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> so floathelm.com is where you want to go to check it out. And, uh, of course, that's what we use at the float shop. And, yeah, it's just they're, they're built from the ground up to work with the float center. Jason McDonald, how are you doing? Hey, uh, I'm doing good, thanks. Nice. Happy Welcome. Valentine's Day, friends. <laughs> Yeah. I couldn't think of a better crew to be hanging with on Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, same with my wife. She she just thrilled that I'm on. Today. Oh no! And, uh, oh no! <laughs> no, no, that's good. We'll we'll postpone until tomorrow. That's <laughs> no, all good. <laughs> uh-huh. all right. That is yeah, dedication yeah, right yeah. there. Yeah, right. Uh, she'll just have to come to Portland for the next conference. There you go. Happy to do that. Oh boy, <laughs> we we might have to buy her a drink <laughs> when she's in town. Oh boy. Well, well, thank you so oh, much so for good. joining so us good. tonight, and and it being on on Valentine's Day, our our romance episode. No, uh, right. I'm I'm excited to to speak with you about uh, water maintenance and and um, some some technicals, and also how we should be dealing with um, with our local governments, governing bodies about it as well. Um, but but first, can you go ahead and introduce? I, I tried to give you an introduction earlier, but would you go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, what you do? Yeah, you, you, you pretty much nailed it. Just okay. pioneer, like you said. And that's, <laughs> Hero. That's cool. uh-huh. <laughs> no, not, not at all. No, no, no. Uh, more humble than that, for sure. Um, nice. Yeah, so I work uh, just up the highway from Lance, actually, about an hour hmm. north of Lance. Um, I grew up in the same area he did. Uh, he lives now, so central Alberta. Um, and yeah, I'm a public health inspector. Uh, I've been doing that for just over 10 years. Okay. And my background, I started doing rental housing in Alberta. We inspect rental housing. So that was my first sort of gig as a health inspector, um, dealing with sort of crummy landlords and mold and bed bugs and things like that. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, was looking for other opportunities. (laughs) (laughs) As you can imagine, that's, uh, that's a, that's a trying job for sure. Uh, and then, I got an opportunity to assist doing swimming pool inspections 
and eventually that became sort of what I focused on and that was um if your uh, listeners know Edmonton at all we have something called West Edmonton Mall and there's the World, World Water Park there mm. it's like the largest indoor water park so um that's what I like to say I did but most of the time I spent doing like, yeah, inspections that's... of all kinds oh, sorry go ahead Lance I was going to say, that's a pretty big thing. I, I wanted to sort of uh, talk about that a bit because we huh. do have the World the world yeah. Water Park where I believe it's the second largest water park, indoor water park in the world. Hmm. Um, there's yeah. like 2.3 million liters of water there. And, <laughs> and you could imagine at how many things happen in a water park. Um, you have slides, you have stairs, you have so many mm, things. And right, right. I believe uh, Jason was the the lead inspector for that were you not i thought that was uh pretty fascinating i couldn't uh, imagine all the things that need to um uh, be thought about for a water park let mm-hmm. alone you know uh <laughs> ten, 10 by 10 float room sort <laughs> of <laughs> right. thing no doubt, no doubt. Um, but yeah so. um yeah it definitely uh to your point gives gave me a lot of perspective mm-hmm. i mean i didn't know what flotation tanks and sensory deprivation was really at that time but really cut my teeth in aquatics and, and aquatic theory and then um it's you know that's that sounds awesome but it, like i said i did most of my inspections in in a variety of pools a lot of hotel you know motels mm-hmm. pools and those are those are smaller so you get to know about hot tubs and bather load abuse and things like that and what that can do to water quality and um yeah and lots of like municipal pools so your city or town has a pool and a wave pool and i got you know so, so i saw basically all there is to offer um there and then uh transition from that into um sort of what i'm more known for now is inspections and uh, policy now policy development in something we call personal services so uh, personal services typically are categorized as things like tattooing and body piercing oh, and um, aesthetics so nails and pedicures hairstyling those sort those sorts of things so i i utilize and write legislation for that stuff now and so What's kind of cool about my background is that typically your industry is either categorized as a pool or a personal service when you talk to the health department. Mm. So I'm fortunate to have a good background in both. Mm. And I'm pretty vocal that I would call you neither. Thank you. You know, like you're, you're not something where you're like cleaning and disinfecting instruments and you're not mm. something like you described like Lance said to 2.3 million visitors and mm-hmm. or how many liters of water you know and all this stuff um you start to realize you're not that either and um you're, you're something totally different and we might we just have trouble sometimes sort of describing what you are you know and, and doing our job which is telling the public that you're this is a safe thing to do so oh, yeah. every every float center has to deal with with this at some point of, of what is a float tank and how's it going to be regulated? I mean, there's, I mean, literally everyone has, has to check in with their city. So, um, why, why doesn't, and, and I, and I know, uh, this, this is going to be a very Mm -hmm. simple, simple question for, for a lot of us because we've been through the rigmarole, but, um, just for anybody who's, who's fresh to this, why does it, why don't float tanks just have their own category and, uh, and they get to check a box at their float center? Yeah, I think I think they should have their own category. Mm-hmm. Uh, why they don't, I'm not sure. I think uh, the word regulate is an interesting word, and uh, flotation has been such a cool exercise for me because typically I deal in things that already there's already like lots of history behind. Right. So let's talk about tattooing. 
like we know there's an established link between hepatitis B and dirty tattoo needles, mm -hmm. right? So we can easily put a rule in place that says you shall use sterile needles and never reuse them. You know, no one's going to dispute that. So it's easy to regulate that. It's easy to say there's science, there's evidence, there's industry is calling for that too. So everybody's coming together to say this, we should never allow less than this. What's interesting about your industry is you're, you're sort of not there yet. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no, you know, there's, there's people that are looking into this like I am, but there's not a lot of evidence to show there's a link for anything, you know, that's going to cause harm or cause an infection or an illness or an outbreak or anything like that. There's certainly no scientific data there yet. There's, there's limited data on the other side to show doing it a certain way keeps people safe, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the time to regulate is when you know what the evidence says. Mm -hmm. It's also the human factor, you know, in there too. And the, in the, the um, thing we need to throw in there is, is an examination of the impact regulation would have on your industry. Oh, okay. So okay. if, if we're going to say, well, I, you know, I'm a government guy, but I'll, I'll say this, like regulation is a way, unfortunately it's, it's a good tool, but it, it, it takes away freedoms. So without regulation, there's sort of like, you can do whatever you want, but once it's regulated, now there's an established set of rules. Mm -hmm. um, so if you think about your industry, where some, some jurisdictions are taking away your freedom to do what you think is right. Yeah, and totally. that's sort of the rub for me. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I think that that's where um, uh, the industry can start to find its voice and, mm. and say, you know what? show us the evidence that we're unsafe show it you know why are you describing us as a pool these are these are really simple questions that i wouldn't want you to ask me but no one seems <laughs> no one seems to ask uh when they when they but um at the same time you know we're not promoting like negative relationships or confrontation it's all about yeah. um working together yeah nice so so whose responsibility is that to find out uh you know what can live in water what is safe and what isn't safe with a float tank can we just say hey we've been this has been around since the 80s? I mean, or do we have to say, look, we're paying for research. These are the tests that are done. Please, please take a look at this. I mean, where does that lie? Mm -hmm. uh, that's, I'd say, maybe a shared responsibility with um, industry and, and health. And when I say health, that's, that's all sorts of levels. And it's um, local government and provincial, national, North America levels of, of sort of government and science sort of looking at research. Um, I, I'd say that's still a, 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 with as much attention as there is in your industry, there's not a lot of like active research going on. There's a lot of like, well, a lot of like literature searches and we're not finding a lot there, but yeah. um, there's very limited, your industry is actually leading the way, I would say in um, putting stuff into water and see what grows, you know, <laughs> that, that raw sort of research, yeah. you know, like it's, it's you, it, it's your industry doing that work okay. uh, and it's costly work and it's time consuming, but you know, that's all adding to the body of evidence. Um, unfortunately, the regulators tend to rely on the swimming pool data and not this, this research that we're, mm. we should be relying on. Um, that's sort of a trend I've seen so far. And, and is that because um, it's so established and it, it's rare that there's a new yeah. product period? I mean, that's, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. There's, like I said, there's, I, I know the, if, it, if we're talking about like food safety, I know the science behind it. Cause I like we've established for years that like food will, or bacteria will grow on food at right. a certain temperature and sure. leave it out on the counter. Right. So uh, in, in, in your industry, we don't have that, but so it's back to like fundamental public health, which was like 
let's let's look at the evidence let's look mm -hmm. at the research and, and come up with a policy that works but i i think there's a bit of a disconnect right now i think a lot of health inspectors don't know what you are yeah um and you know and that's that's fair you're new sure. but they're asking the question you know help us with that ask their government or ask um ask other other people other organizations that can help they'll say help us understand what they are and instead of like doing research we're regulating which is for me like fast forwarding to, yeah. to the wrong end you know and we're saying well you know what we'll take a lot of this pool theory and we'll apply it to you and that is completely inappropriate for me based on you know dip, what we call roots of entry into the body so we, when you swim it's established that you're going to ingest or take into oh, your mouth a certain amount of water uh -huh. with floating you don't you wouldn't do that it you know i floated and i I haven't tried to drink it, but I, you know, I know what it's like to get it in your mouth and you would never swallow any. So therefore all of these rules that apply to pools where, you know, you, you, kids, kids drink pool water and they get really sick and people die in pools like from that huh. from time to time, even chlorinated pools. Right. Huh. Um, that's what we're trying to prevent in pools. But I really think it's a leap to say that that's a risk in flotation. Mm -hmm. Yet that seems to be what people are, you know, maybe they're not comfortable, uh, divorcing you from pools and i think that's what we need to enable is this a uh, comfort level like it's okay to call you something other than pools or personal services and, and so if we're I, working oh sorry lance go ahead oh i, I was going to say i i was fortunate enough to attend your workshop um in 2015 at the float conference which was the uh manufacturers workshop mm -hmm. and one of the the most interesting things i got out of that is how you really broke down that we are not a pool and you separate that by a bunch of different things. Um, uh, like you said, the points of entry, people aren't drinking the water. They're not putting their face under the water. They're showering before with soaps and, and shampoos. And our bather load is so minimum. We have one-to-one -one education with everyone. Any yeah. cuts, scrapes, blisters, we're covering up. Um, our, our clients are mature. I, You know, that's very fascinating stuff i took with me when i talk to other people and, and say you know we're not a pool this is why we don't have um three-year-old kids in diapers um in the float tank dance you know playing around we don't um have 50 people in here and uh yeah i, I really enjoyed that that workshop yeah that's what i've been trying to offer to the um industry is um like i think we all agree that you're not pools like you and i but um hmm. helping you answer why you know and i think some some of that what lance is describing we've written down and it's available through um through the uh flotation conference website or even the flotation tech association we're starting to help develop materials for operators when they approach their health department again not as a confrontation but just look we know who we are and we know you know we we sort of, we can respectfully disagree that you're calling us a pool or you're making us chlorinate our water. Yeah. You know, let's get, let's talk about why, like, why would you make us do that? Uh, and and can, probably, you know, can we come up with, I, I would assume one of the best things you can do is be educated when going into that conversation. And again, like you said, not in a confrontational way, but in a way that you're, you're bringing something to the table where you can perhaps educate them or is, is yeah, it's yeah. both. Yeah. Two ways. Edu like you, like, I got the easy job, right? I got um, public servant, pension, uh, nine to five. Um, I, I listened to the the opening of this podcast, you know, the realities of what you have to deal with, like drive business, retain business, uh, fire, hire people. Um, 
rent? Uh, which pod do I buy? Uh, right. Where do I get my supplies, right? You are taking all the risks and I've got the easy job. Um, you know so much already, like just knowing, I, I want to enable you to know just a little bit more to be able to deal with with what we present to you. Um, yeah, and, and tip tends to break down to some pretty typical kinds of questions, right? Like, why do I need to chlorinate? <laughs> uh, chlorine's probably the number one, but you know, there's other other issues like turnovers, like what's an acceptable turnover rate and do should we even look at that? And is, is mm -hmm. does UV work? And mm -hmm. you know, what, what organisms would I look for in water if I were to sample it? Lots of different questions that I'm trying to sort of help your industry um, come to the table with an answer for before you even have those first interactions. Cool. Mm. Do, do you mind if we start talking about what those things are? Uh, as far yeah, as... Yeah, sure. We'll give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with a, probably the most basic would be chlorine, bromine, hydrogen peroxide. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little about what each of those are and the differences between them? Yeah, so differences, um, chlorine and bromine have been sort of recognized as sanitizers mm -hmm. uh, in pool settings. In North North America, so mm -hmm. you know for for a while we know that especially chlorine is very effective disinfectant in swimming pool settings at the right pH. Um, hydrogen peroxide. When I came on the scene, um, peroxide is new, so you should know that. Like peroxide is not something that health inspectors really deal with on a day to day. Mm -hmm. We don't know how to test it. We've never seen it before. Mm -hmm. We've heard about it a little bit, maybe as a surface sanitizer or some sort of disinfectant for instruments, but not not in, a, in an aquatic application. So good to know that, that we're gonna have questions about peroxide. Uh, but when I started interacting with your industry, um, there's a bit of a mis, misconception that peroxide was a uh, disinfectant, uh, but it's not. It's not a recognized water sanitizer. So in other words, it, it's not recognized for its ability to kill germs in the water. And, and can we but, dive into that a little bit more? Yeah. Like what, what sure. is a sanitizer and what makes something recognized as something that will kill what? And, and what makes hydrogen peroxide different so that it's not a sanitizer? Yeah. Um, a lot of that is like a lot of like government, you know, the, the word disinfectant, my message is the word disinfectant is a very special word. But just like the word sterile is a very special word. So we can say casually, you know, around the kitchen table, like I sterilize, whatever. But sterile means like you've uh, killed an, a certain organism that I can't pronounce to uh, <laughs> uh, like a, a certain uh, number of them have been killed. So basically one in a million chance of survival, which is basically zero. Okay. That's sterile. Uh, disinfection has different levels, which um, there's low level, intermediate level, high level of disinfection. And again, it's picking on different organisms and how long it takes to kill those. Okay. Um, and it's not so much about the organism, but it's the fact that um, companies who call their product a disinfectant have to demonstrate that this, this product works. So they have to say, uh, here's a lab report showing we had a million organisms and then we went reduced it down to 10. That's, that's a five log reduction of germs. We can call this a high level disinfectant, something okay. like that's how it works. I might not have those numbers correct, but that's how it works. So sure, okay. whenever we're using a special word like that, there's governmental sort of control over those special words. But um, peroxide doesn't do that. So nobody's gone and said, gone and said uh, we've added 50 ppm parts per million of um, peroxide to our water and it killed this many germs. And the people who have tried have showed that it's really not that effective at that. Okay. So it's important to know. Okay. But at the same time, like you and I could sit in the in front of a, you know, flow tank and add some peroxide and see it get clearer or, mm -hmm. you know, 
it has a visible effect that right. appears to be working. Mm -hmm. And uh, you want to know what's going on there because I think it's just a little bit incorrect to call that disinfection. What's really going on is mm -hmm. oxidation. Mm -hmm. um, oxidation, you've heard that phrase like you're born dying. And we, we're, we die quicker than we probably would like to because of oxygen. Oxygen lets us live, but it also kills us. It's very like uh, oxidation is sort of a, it kills living cells in a way. Oxidation is good in a way because it, in terms of disinfection, because it keeps germs at bay, but it also like makes us look older and you know, we're always hearing about antioxidants, right? That like prevent aging and prevent okay, right. you know, okay. killing of cells. Yeah. yeah, my mom didn't tell so, me that one at night, nighttime, but it's starting to make sense. Yeah, okay. So you start dying yeah. as soon as you're born. Okay. Yeah, I know that's pretty grim. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's Valentine's. It's great. So oxid. <laughs> Oxid, oxid, sorry, where are we? Oh, peroxide. Yeah, peroxide in a, in your application yeah. has a use, and I would say it's as a pool oxidizer. Like it oxidizes organic material. When you oxidize organic material, you're basically reducing the amount of food that germs could eat. Mm -hmm. uh, you're also like going to improve clarity. Okay. So, it's it's a, I would call. Um, I think if you're approaching your health department talking about um, peroxide, you really want to make sure that you understand that peroxide is strictly for improving clarity. Um, conditioning the water, um, helping us like you know keep the water free of food for germs, that sort of right. thing. Okay. Um, As yeah. opposed to a and, and also, oh, sorry, go ahead. But we... That's right. No, that's right. Yeah. So it's not killing germs mm -hmm. per se. It's just helping to keep germs at bay. Okay. And um, most, I just want to say, most people that are running hydrogen peroxide are also using an ultraviolet light of some sort. Yeah. And when that hydrogen peroxide um, reacts with that UV light, there is a hydroxy three radical sort of a radiation that's formed, which has rapid oxidization. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. So that's another good point. So again, like um, interaction with the health department, you come forward and you say, uh, well, we, we, we put peroxide in our water to disinfect. And, you know, when we hear that, we're going, you know, alarm bells are going off going like no 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 right. but you forgot to tell us about the, the uv mm -hmm. the ultraviolet light is a tremendous uh disinfection strategy for for aquatic settings maybe not for pools because the volume's so big but in a small volume setting like yours mm -hmm. if you're passing all of your water by a uv lamp on a very routine basis frequent basis that's that's good news um and so what lance is describing is what i would call like synergistic effects so you've got UV is good on its own. And I would go in, I would go into your health department saying UV is our disinfection strategy. Interesting. And we add peroxide as an oxidizer mm -hmm. conditioner. But the, the synergistic relationship between those is that like Lance described, when the when the um, peroxide's in the water and it passes by the UV lamp, there's this there's this effect that's created, a hydroxy radical is created, and that's the best sanitizing element we know of you know it, it'll kill the most germs most effectively better than chlorine better than yeah so it's like one plus one equals three you know that saying and so that's sort of like how i view that system so um a lot of that's not proven yet and that's sort of what makes us a little uncomfortable is that in theory that would work um uh, but it's hard you can't like stick a test piece of test paper in the water and say yeah you've got 50 radicals in there you know it's, it's just it just it's it's instantaneous and it's almost theoretical but the only way to prove that it works i think would be to like sample your water for bacteria and show that you're keeping levels down okay so that's sort of what we're condoning as a sort of a holistic approach is you've got peroxide uv 
turnovers going on and then every you know on a, on a semi-frequent basis you, you know, scoop some water and send it to the lab and see what's in there just right. to show that your, your thing is working yeah which I think is covered in Canada, by the way, as, as at least Lance's uh, tests are covered, mm -hmm. which is absolutely a testament my, to them. In my in my province, in my city. Okay. Well, yeah, it's, it differs. Uh, we just got lucky, I think. So. Shh. Okay. Shh. No. I'm <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they just forgot to dot an I. Yeah. They should be charging you. I I want to talk a little bit more since since we're on the subject of sanitation and we covered UV I do want to go into something that seems like it's on the way out I don't necessarily know how true that is worldwide but ozone uh, in float tanks how much do you know about ozone is it a, does it sanitize the water and what about its safety for our floaters and for the people cleaning <laughs> the rooms so for for the air yeah it's good so first thing to know I guess when you're interacting with uh, with us is that ozone is something we're not familiar with that, okay. that much okay okay so um but i will tell you to be what we will be concerned about is air quality mm -hmm. so not somewhat we probably not going to dispute you that uh, ozone in water is an effective disinfectant strategy it, in fact it's probably the only one that's actually been shown to work really well mm -hmm. uh, for in flotation settings so uh you know, I kind of think it's it's one of the ways of the future. You know, it, it gives you what you want, and that it's not a halogen. It's not, not there's no like chlorine um, or bromine sort of uh, issues related to disinfection byproducts. Hmm. But what what can happen with ozone? It can kind of linger around in the air, and that might present a risk to the breathing of, of your client or to the staff. And so, the question that needs to be answered if you're going to use ozone as your disinfection strategy. Not so much about how effective is it in the water, just did it get in the air and is it still in the air when your next client comes in and what are the levels? Um, I, I don't know who the onus is on. Like I, I'm listening to you as like flotation center owners wondering like, should you have to prove to me that levels are low or should that come as a stamp sort of guarantee with the pod that you chose or the tank oh, or the cabin that you bought, mm -hmm. right? I mean. If ozone is the is the strategy that comes to the tank, I think it'd be nice to know that, yeah, we, you know, the people who made this ran a test, and here's the results of the test. And typically, there's not enough gas in the air to to worry about. Right. And I, I think that's with ozone. I, I'd like to know more about it myself. But my suspicion is, um, typically, when you run ozone in a float center, there's not going to be a lot of an, enough around for a long enough exposure to your clients to really impact their health. Okay. But we should. We shouldn't make that assumption without testing it, right? And so, that's sort of the future of ozone. I wouldn't say it's on the way out. In fact, I think okay. because there's so many questions around UV, I, and um, hmm. I wouldn't say there are negative questions around UV. It's just again, like I said, there's no test strips for UV. There's no way to like test that it actually happened. Uh, right. Ozone doesn't need to be on the way out. We just have to answer that question around air quality. That's really interesting. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, a, a lot of the float tanks that are manufactured, even that are still coming out today, a good percentage of them just have passive airflow. And um, that's really something that came up um, last year at the float conference. And, and now we're starting to see more and more manufacturers focus on having, you know, good ventilation. They're monitoring their, you know, CO2 levels, all, all the air quality levels. But, um, you know, some of those older tanks that have been around for 20 years, airflow wasn't a thing and i've actually heard that um increase in like co2 levels 
is what would have really, say, visual or trippy floats would be you're actually <laughs> depriving yourself of oxygen in some of these tanks. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but... Um, yeah, is that something so that you guys are looking at? I mean, so you're used to a pool. There has to be crazy ventilation going on in a chlorinated pool. What are you looking at then, looking at a, at a float tank? Yeah, well, in my jurisdiction of pools, we don't get too much into the... Uh, ventilation of the pool area okay if we walk in and smell chlorine it's probably an indicator that the disinfections something's not right there okay and you're smelling uh disinfection byproducts and the water is not clean so then the air is not clean the in our jurisdiction that's dealt with uh, by safety codes officers or, or building code people okay. ventilation and the construction and design of a facility or a pool uh, would be under that legislation. So other jurisdictions, health inspector might do all of that. So um, okay. it might just be different depending where you're at. Where you're at. But um, you know, when it comes to ventilation and what we look for here, um, certainly, like Lance was saying, is there is there device specific ventilation, especially with ozone? That, so you can answer our question before we even ask it. So just, mm -hmm. Yeah, that fan goes on after every float, mm -hmm. sends the air in this direction. If you look up there, you'll see another sort of uh, air, air, air removal system that's taking right. that air and taking it out. So cool. um, we don't carry equipment typically where it monitors ozone or even CO2. Mm -hmm. uh, ozone testing equipment is probably a little more expensive, mm -hmm. so it's a little more specialized. But to measure CO2 levels, like Lance said, is not that difficult for health regions. And sometimes we can use CO2 as an indicator of um, just general air movement. And uh, so if there's air quality concerns, you might look at CO2. But um, it, would, it takes a lot for a long time to sort of become really negative health effects. And that's the thing about ozone too, is a one hour or 90 minute exposure to moderate to low levels of ozone is different than the occupational health risks, which are like eight hour work, workplace right, with eight right. hour exposure, okay. you know, five days a week for the rest of your life sort of thing. That's where we start <laughs> to worry about that. Okay. And one other thing I would mention about ozone is there's a lot of like kind of bunk out there in terms of in terms of like stuff you'll see on uh, infomercials around air cleaning purifying the air with ozone uh -huh. we health inspectors hear that and just cringe because you're actually adding like a respiratory irritant oh. to the air mm -hmm. trying to get rid of some other respiratory sure. irritant so sure, sure. so like the idea of like disinfecting your air is something we would never condone like why would you put a chemical into the air to make it more pure that doesn't really make sense to us so um there's lots of bunk out there with you know, science and, and uh, chemicals especially. But, Interesting. Yeah. So ozone's a bit of a trigger for us. Just know how to, how to sort of approach it. I think that's the okay. advice. Um, I, I want to get into a little bit more uh, air quality stuff. And, and it's actually some, some technical or chemistry stuff. Um, and it's actually going to get into some, some dirty topics here. I want to talk about the bodily fluids, <laughs> number one, two, and three. <laughs> um, I think... Uh, <laughs> So, so it's, it's <laughs> we're float center operators and owners. I mean, th this is stuff yeah. that we have to deal with, and I'm, I'm assuming it's something that you have to deal with and regulate and, and understand well as well. So what, what I'm, what I would like to start out with is, uh, if, if, so I, um, consider urine to be sterile, uh, for the most part, I know that there can be conditions where it's not sterile, but, um, there, there's potentially risk. Uh, with urine mixing with hydrogen peroxide in the float tank. And I'm curious what your take is on that and what kind of uh, 
gassing could happen that could be potentially a health risk for our, our clients? Or, or do you have any thoughts currently on it? Yeah, urine in particular, uh, probably not much. I mean, from a pool background, what it does is reacts with chlorine and creates sort of what like a smelly kind of chlorine that you may smell. You walk into a pool that's busy and it <laughs> smells like pools. Yeah, yeah. Pool's yeah. got lots of chlorine in it. In fact, that's just pee and sweat mixing with chlorine, making making uh, chloramines, and that's not necessarily a good thing. Uh -huh. um, luckily, in a non-chlorinated environment like a float tank, you're probably not going to have that interaction because if there's no chlorine, and that's good, you know, you know. So I don't know what happens with peroxide and and urine, like whatever your whatever's in urine. I, if anything, it'll um, oxidize it, so reduce it down, and whatever was in there, germs can't eat, so it's probably good but um yeah I, I for that one i don't really know i don't I, okay. it's not one a concern of mine okay the, i'm sort of that's sort of the exit only approach to urine i'm sort of kind of wondering if there's a that's the one point of entry we should sort of think about is the um the ureters and the urethras and all these things you know that i'm gonna yeah. keep this pg i suppose but you know um can things get into us from those tiny little like areas yeah. so if we release urine whether it's voluntary or not is that a chance for whatever's in float water to sort of get back in sure, sure. i don't know if um i know let's talk a bit about like post float discussions with with uh the clients and i this would be again this is the art of your job i suppose but <laughs> that would be a great time to do like interviews from a science perspective um telling us a couple things one did you experience any like tingling in your your mm -hmm. penis or vagina after mm -hmm. um just to just to know you know like just to know if, if it's possible but also i think what's in your favor is anytime i floated i usually have to like have to go pee after because <laughs> i've been holding it in for like 90 minutes <laughs> i stand up and like our gravity takes hold and everything comes down yeah, yeah. and i think that's good like you expel anything that might have crawled in so oh, that interesting i think that's another reason why it's not you know again this is just a theory of mine but could we study it i don't know but i think that would be a night a neat way to sort of so what have i what i've done here is identified a potential hazard right mm -hmm. like some sort of urinary tract infection mm -hmm. is that a risk yet no it's a potential hazard can we study it to decide if it's a real risk yes you know and, and we might want to mm -hmm. do a survey of, of uh, floaters to see if they pee afterwards because that <clears throat> that's going to help the help our cause right it's going to expel anything so <clears throat> again um I don't want to be the guy saying chlorinate your float tank because urinary tract infections are a risk. I don't uh -huh. think they're a risk yet. I just think they're a theoretical hazard. Interesting. So, yeah. Well, probably... So with urine, probably not somewhere we, I spend too much attention on. Go ahead, Lance. No, I was just <clears> going to say, it's. I, I think I've mentioned it on the show before where we've talked about um, urinating after going in the float tank, but that's probably good habit to get in if you go in any sort of public water. Um, when you get out of that public water, <laughs> go to the washroom. I, I, I believe that would be a, a good habit. And it wouldn't be bad to educate your floaters that as well. Mm -hmm. I know I, excretion in general is just one of my favorite bodily processes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, because we're going to keep going on. on uh, it's right up there. Yeah. So, uh, so okay, so I like... Uh, <clears throat> Just your your general sense of urine, not hot button for you. Um, if someone were to not at this a time, tank, that I have no reason to worry about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want to carry that one a little further. Okay. Um, so we do think somebody did urinate in the flow tank. What do we do? 
there do we, we drain our float tank and add new salt, or do we um, maybe do a shock of hydrogen peroxide, make sure we filter it, change the filter, sanitize? What do we do? Or nothing. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't... Um, I mean, you sort of have to wonder, like, let's not... Um, let's recognize, I guess, what you're doing already, which is, like, spending 15 to 20 minutes, I'm assuming, between clients... Mm -hmm running that water through a filter and pass some sort of disinfection, whether it's ozone or UV. And there's maybe some residual uh, peroxide in there as an oxidizer. So that's, that's already all in your favor. And that's already, that's a process that's working. So sometimes that's, if, if that's good enough to kill a lot of <clears throat> things we don't know happened, it should be good enough to kill something really low risk that did mm -hmm. happen. <clears throat> um, I would follow that up by doing visual inspection of your water smell test uh <laughs> looking for anything that's going to offset your clients now i'm not saying sure, sure. it's not gross uh in my mind as a as a citizen mm -hmm. but the public health risk is low mm -hmm. um so two different things there right like you're trying to build a clientele you're trying to uh bring people back um trying to get them to fall in love with this and come over and over again mm -hmm. that's your motivation for doing all these things right you've, you've got You've got the system that works already, right? The the circulation, filtration, disinfection, and you're doing additional measures whenever you suspect fouling or contamination. We'll probably get into some more troublesome fouling type events. Uh, I, I think that's where we're going here. But with urine, <laughs> if, if you smell urine and you suspect it, or someone said, "I just I did it. I couldn't help mm -hmm. it. And I did it." I mean. Um, I guess, I, I don't know, I'd be really reluctant to drain it. I mean, it's always an option, but you could also dilute a bit. You could take some out mm -hmm. and add fresh. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of different strategies, but I think yep. um, how maybe maybe running your, just don't let someone back in until you would go in. You know, you're satisfied. Yeah. I think that's yeah. that's pretty pretty good measure. Golden rule, right? Yeah, just sort of toss that out there for, for you know, other people or those who may be yeah. thinking of starting a center, but... Um, we just make sure we shock our water, give it a good filter, sanitize all the walls, the water, put our tennis balls yeah. in there to absorb anything on the surface and make sure it's give it a good scrub and um, we put it back in service. Yeah. Well, let's let's take it to the next level. Let's say uh, somebody goes number two in a float tank, which hasn't Ooh. happened with us before and I don't think it's happened with any three of us here. Um, but uh, it, it's a possibility, and I think it's important to know. I know this is a weird topic, but it, it's a, probably important to note that there could be a very tiny amount, and it could also be like a full release amount as well. So that there could be a bit of a spectrum here. How, what are your thoughts on this? And even if there is not official regulations, I'm curious what your take is on it. Yeah. And just the risk of fecal uh, matter versus urine. Well, uh, it's really struggle for me to like keep uh, mature about this topic. I <laughs> we're all kids here. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah, You're right off the clock, right? <laughs> it's all good. Uh, um, so I'll do my best. But, uh, That's great. <laughs> uh, okay, so we break um, fecal uh, incidents into two categories, and I think that's important to talk about first. Okay. One is Sink like a sinker. Formed Oh, uh, <laughs> I was going to say sinkers and floaters because uh, they all yeah. float in the float tank. No. Yeah, no, it's more like floating floater would be, they probably, yeah, you're right, it all floats. But I think more like formed versus loose, if you, if you okay. can yeah, visualize right. it that way. So um, formed stool, it's hard. Now, again, floating is different than swimming, but in the swimming pool, like most formed stool 
incidents, like an actual log comes out and is floating, that's like intentional or a, a healthy person did that, oh, which is right, good news, right? right? right. So with the forms tool, there's lots of germs in there, but nothing that is of acute health importance. It's the diarrhea events huh. that create a concern for us because in a swimming pool environment, there's a, there's certain kinds of diarrhea. Uh, there's a certain um, parasite that can cause diarrhea mm. called cryptosporidium. You might have heard of that, a crypto. And it, there's crypto outbreaks that happen a lot of, a lot of times in water spray parks where kids... Um, kind of sit on the jets and then they drink the water and all that. Um, you know, uh, but wow. cryptosporidium I thought you were keeping is, it PG. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. So that's anyway, crypto, yeah, um, crypto is really resistant to chlorine. So swimming pools have like one to two to three parts per million of chlorine at all times to kill most germs. But if there's crypto in there, uh, it forms a cyst and it's basically chlorine can't touch it. Wow. So if it's in the water, you've got lots of chlorine at the right pH, it's still not going to touch crypto. Huh. Uh, and then for crypto to crypto sporidium to make you sick, you have to drink it. You have to like get it in your body. And we know that people do that when they swim. So what I'm saying is a diarrhea event is more important than a form stool event mm -hmm. in a float pod. However, you still have to think about what's going on. So client A, we'll call him We'll just call him Lance. Uh, <laughs> <oops>. Perfect. <laughs> right? Like has a total disaster yeah. diarrhea. Yeah. Um, that's his own germs. And he's going to come out and he's probably going to apologize or he's going to run for the exits. Right. But you're going to go in there and see that like, oh no, right? Like this is a gong show disaster. <laughs> you're not going to let, you're not going to let someone in there. Right. right? So, um, you're going to clean that up. You're going to um, probably drain it, right? But luckily, client cryptosporidium, if, they're, if that was full of crypto, that's only going to make them sick if someone else comes in and drinks that water. Sorry, I can see you guys like covering your mouth. I know, that's, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is where everybody's putting the stop, pushing the stop button. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's why you're different than pools, right? So I can tell you what we do in pools. We would like super chlorinate the water for 40 hours or something. Wow, but, okay. Just drain it, man. Like, just drain it. Now, form stool, scoop it out, do your process. Interesting. It's all about how can the next, how can client B or the next person get sick? And in, in your, luckily in your industry, that's, you control that. Like, you're, very rarely would two people be in the same pod. And very, if they were, they're not going to, like, have a diarrhea. Right. You know, that's, like, right. one in a million chance, right? Mm -hmm. So, diarrheal incident is only, um, only affects client B, if you will. It only affects the next okay. person. Luckily, you're, well, I should say everyone always goes in and does a visual inspection, but that's why like the FDA or I would always say like, yeah. do a visual inspection, turn the lights on, have a look at the pod for hairs and everything. But if you suspect diarrhea, then, then, you know, I would say, okay, that's time to dump your water. But, so, so, um, yeah, but I, I think of fecal matter as, as a very risky, very dangerous thing that there, there can be so much stuff in it but because it's in and and i i noticed you mentioned chlorine not um hydrogen peroxide or bromine but because it's yeah. in the chlorine um most anything is going to be destroyed except crypto which i assume because it's an yeah. alien body from krypton is able to survive uh as chlorine but is that right though that it's it's just this one thing pretty much that we need to be concerned about that's what drives swimming pool uh, response for fecal incidents. Interesting. Um, and now, 
fecal fecal goes hand in hand with oral uh fecal oral root is something they teach us on day one of yes. like public health inspection uh-huh. so like fecal fecal matter the reason we tell you to wash your hands is not because it'll like fecal matter will like absorb through your skin it's because you're bound to like put your hand in your mouth at some point right. and that's what's going to make you sick so again um that client who just pooped all over themselves comes out and has a bigger shower and they're good um the next client won't be exposed to any of that and, and unless you let them float in the, in the poop right so sorry lance you're just losing it there <laughs> again everybody this is our valentine's romance episode yeah. i hope everybody's enjoying it so sense. far <laughs> so i'm trying to paint a picture that like it sounds like the worst thing possible but it, yeah, and it that's... sort of is in a pool environment but you're better off than pools just by by who you are that's very and interesting then, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so really good to know that, right? Like, how mm-hmm. is the next person going to get sick? It's almost virtually impossible unless you let them float in the contaminated environment. So, so important to, to examine that pod after every float. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's great insight. Mm-hmm. It goes back to air circulation, farts, too. Who <laughs> 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 vapors, yeah. yes. Yeah, no, no comment on that. I haven't studied that one. <laughs> and I, I will say, uh, as someone who our health department is very, very, uh, well, we're really regulated swimming pools um, pretty strictly. Um, but that was one of the concerns going in is right at the time that we went in to speak to them early on in the process, because it did take us almost two years. Um, but early on in that process, they were going through where they were getting rid of the splash pads and that sort of thing because there had just yeah. been a crypto outbreak and that was a concern. And it took a, a while. I didn't know enough about it at the time to be able to, uh, I, I had to learn a lot, let's just say. So I, yeah. I didn't go in with that knowledge um, and it would have helped so much had I known and I could quell that concern right away. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that knowledge is valuable. So Hopefully that's some of what we're doing this episode. Sorry, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, and yeah, there's um, there's lots of good questions. Uh, always, I find from your industry. Um, but when we were in Portland last year <clears throat> at the conference, there was concurrently there was this like crypto outbreak in Arizona from uh, linked to swimming pools and spray parks there, and it was just sort of sort of ironic to be thinking of you know your industry's fighting to like. Um, ask why should we be chlorinated and then you've got this like outbreak going on in chlorinated environments right, right so right. you know so it, it was just um just uh, yeah again ironic but um, i think ironic. a lot of lots <laughs> happened since then yeah for sure right um sometimes we have to sort of be mindful of the, the science behind and the reason behind our policies but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. you know i i know this is distracting a little bit but it's something i've wanted to ask this whole time which is what is the education and chemistry understanding level of most most health inspectors? Like, you seem to be very knowledgeable in this. Are they simply doing tests and checking boxes, or do they truly understand? And can can they have a, a science based conversation if if we educate ourselves? Yeah, good question. So I think background wise, like we we would all um, have a base level knowledge of aquatic chemistry, but again, that's going to be they don't teach us about peroxide and they don't teach us about float tanks they teach us about swimming pools and chlorine and a certain ph and what it does um so straying outside that comfort zone becomes a little bit of a worry worry, worrisome thing and so uh the other thing you should know is that some jurisdictions will have a specialist like i might be called a specialist in personal services oh, okay. uh, but in a more rural jurisdiction um like a smaller town or smaller city 
they might be generalists and they might mm -hmm. just be looking after like a you know 20 by 20 block of your city and they look after all of the restaurants and the pools and the if there happened to be a pool and then um you know whatever else they look at daycares and then you come into the neighborhood and it's the first time they've ever heard of you and, and so you're dealing with someone who doesn't typically deal with aquatic chemistry very often it can be all over the map and that's just the way our profession is laid out so there's no right way or wrong way but yeah. um, um the other thing uh yeah, your question was around um around just our, our training and background um sure, yeah I think the other thing to recognize is we're sort of agents of legislation. So we can go, we can go out and make um, judgment calls a lot. A lot of health inspectors are empowered to look at a situation, make a risk assessment, and then say, you know what, I'd like you to do this to prevent someone from getting sick. Okay. But it's not all like that. Sometimes there's rules, like it's very black and white. Um, a good example would be in a restaurant. You have to keep your food at four degrees Celsius or less to keep it germs from growing. And so if a health inspector walks in and sees it at seven degrees, there's no discretion there. They can't really say, eh, good enough, right? <laughs> they, they're going to say, sorry, no. Yeah. Um, they might throw the food away. They might do certain things. So once there's regulation, it really makes it hard for us to... Um, make those judgment calls or be, mm. you know, sort of swayed mm. with a discussion and, and weigh different piece, pieces of evidence. So again, it goes back to like, is now the time to regulate your industry when there's right. just so much information to be gleaned? And um, I, yeah, so that's, I want to, yeah. I want to go a little bit deeper into that. I want to, I want to go deeper. Mm -hmm. In fact, now, now we've got a few tangents here that I, I want to bring it back to, but I do want to just take a, a quick break here and give a shout out to the sponsor that's been with us since the beginning, Float Away Float Tanks, who make the float around, the float cabin, float, uh, excuse me, the tranquility float tank, um, uh, for which the float shop now has. We got rid of our old float tank, our old tranquility, popped in a brand new one, and people are absolutely loving it. And I just realized it's one of the easiest float tanks to get people into. Uh, when you talk about having buttons to open and close the lid, when you talk about having starlights in the ceiling, it just makes it the absolute friendliest thing possible for somebody to want to get into. So um, I love that about the about the float away float tanks, including the float around, which is, again, as I've said before, the best floats I've ever had have been in and float around. So um, if you want to check them out, it's www.floataway.com. And um, if you want to float in, a, in one and you're near on the west side uh, of the U.S., please come visit us and, and check out our Tranquility Float Tank at the float shop. Thanks for uh, bearing with me there. But um, let's see here. So getting back to um, the idea of regulations, uh, you, you, you brought up exactly what's on my mind, which is when... So we have a, a few different options here. We've got the NSF, and we have um, people paying, uh, float tank manufacturers paying for uh, testing of what's in the air, what's in the water, safety features of their float tank. That needs to be done by each individual float tank manufacturer, and it means that very specific, uh, a float tank is a very specific thing defined by the NSF, depending on who has uh, had testing done. Uh, then there's... Uh, options of us, uh, the float community, independently um, getting tests done on more generalized things like uh, Epsom salt alone, Epsom salt with hydrogen peroxide, certain um, f uh, flow rate, uh, certain amount of time um, 
that the the water's running, that it that it gets flushed through the filtration system, what type of filters we're using. Sorry, I'm going going too in depth here, but um, so so the, there are different options that in the end can potentially lead to regulations. And I'm and and I, I don't want to get um, this to be a political discussion uh, about because um, I think talking about things like the NSF uh, can can become a political topic, and I, I don't necessarily need you to to weigh in on that, but. I am curious if we want the most uh, effective way for us to keep our clients safe and uh, keep options for innovation uh, alive in the industry, which as, as you've mentioned, I mean, it's, it's in its infancy still or, or, or a toddler phase. Um, where, what should we be doing to ensure our health uh, of the industry and, and its sense of innovation? Did that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, there's a lot there. Um, sure. A couple things that jump, jumped out would be, okay. um, again, I'm the health guy uh, who could just come in and close Lance down because I don't think you're you know, meeting the right turnovers. If I wanted to, I probably could justify that decision, but huh. um, I choose not to. It's a, it's a relationship <laughs> thing. And so there's a lot Power. of this is like local local relationships with people. That's interesting. Um that want, you know, and I bought into the fact that you provide a health service to your clients. Mm -hmm. You you are not doing this for cosmetic reasons or aesthetic reasons. Right. So your skin feels better. This is I bought into the like it's a matter of time before we have to professionally acknowledge that this is something that helps people. Nice. Right. And that that science is coming out yeah. uh, day by day. But um, there's but so there's this local element but there's this community that you have and you may not even realize how close you are and maybe you do like things like this podcast really bring people together um in your industry uh from across north america and because everyone has similar sort of motivations for opening a center mm -hmm. they also have similar difficulties in like dealing with people like me and you know where <laughs> to get things and, and what what should i choose and i have this problem and you've got this great community going you need to keep that going and have a unified voice. So we talk about like individual studios doing individual sampling mm -hmm. that, that needs to come that, that did, there's a lot of that data sort of scattered around mm -hmm. North America right now, but mm -hmm. that needs to be like centralized and I don't know if the, what the word is that like warehoused or at mm -hmm. least, um, collated stored in one that space. there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of good data there that could really help answer some some questions or at least maybe not all the questions but eventually yes all of the questions we might have will be there and we can put together some uh some regulations that are based if we needed to regulate at all based on like what we're actually finding so there's there's that i would say um sort of that strength in numbers thing is is a little bit underrated in your in your industry right now and so whatever organization that unifies you is somewhere somewhere I think operators should gravitate to for the good of your industry. If you don't, uh, the consequences are someone's going to regulate you. Mm. So you're either going to like drive the bus or you're going to get driven over by it. <laughs> and um, um, I think there's some really good steps going on in your industry to uh, put together a really good evidence-informed standard. Um, and I would point to the Flotation Tank Association and the collective and people that are pulling together the real data mm -hmm. what's going on at the same time and you mentioned with nsf and and cdc and the model health model aquatic health code right now is they're trying to again like i was talking about before they're trying to say you know what people have a lot of questions about flotation let's make a regulation let's make a standard and then that'll just make it uh that'll answer their questions and i disagree 
giving me a standard that says you must follow this other standard that doesn't answer any questions for me mm-hmm. like i want to know like if i do this what happens and why am i doing it you know why am i adding this chemical to this this process right mm-hmm. i'll do it if you tell me i have to but tell me why yeah. um that's what that's what your organization can provide so i think you've got these like competing initiatives right now you've got the float tank association sort of trying to put out a made for float tank operators standard um and that's going to grow that's a living document and i think we need to add more to it for sure uh, as it relates to like answering some questions but there's also this competing initiative right now um, from different sort of regulatory organizations not necessarily state or provincial or federal but um, sort of third party like nsf and cdc sort of trying to do the right thing and make things safe but too much of it in my opinion is related to uh, swimming pool data Mm. and it's there's going to be unintended consequences for your industry, namely higher priced uh, equipment, uh, pricing things out of the markets. Uh, in my opinion, if you're going to make a standard or a, a regulation, you need to do a survey of the industry to see what the impacts will be. Mm-hmm. And these third party organizations don't really need to do that. They can just sort of drop the standard in there and just sort of see what happens, right? And I, I don't think that's fair. Okay. So, um, again, like there's this. My message is, you know, keep coming together, agree on a unified set of standards, keep contributing to the, what you guys obviously love doing and uh, contributing knowledge and content and time and money and, and um, paving the way for future sort of generations. And like, what's the, why would you do that? Because um, it's, it's such a good thing for people, you know, like yeah, the, right. the service <laughs> itself is, is you, you just hear like, it's almost like uh some miracles happen sometimes in there in those <laughs> tanks so like a lot of times it's just you know a casual thing uh just sort of like routine maintenance of the mind but other times you hear about like these mir- miracles really you know yeah. and you sort of go you know okay now i get it you know i get why these people do it so. awesome wow that was a great answer thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> that, was, okay. yeah. that was brilliant thank you so much that was a good question yeah that's right that's right you must be a Canadian. You're way too nice. Um, yeah. So uh, I um, I want to I want to talk about. Well, gosh, you know what? Let's. I want to finish up. Sorry for getting back to this one. We talked about not, number, number one. We talked about number two, <laughs> and we've still got number three here. Door and, number and three. It's, yeah. it's interesting because I think it's something that we shy away from a lot in our industry talking about, and I've noticed in uh, Float Collective, our online uh, Facebook group that we all chat on. It it started. Uh, <laughs> Wow, I'm gonna have to watch my language, but it, it started percolating up recently, and it's uh, it's it's been discussed. And I don't think there is necessarily a whole lot of understanding of semen in our float tanks and the health risks that yeah. they lead to. Um, I it, I'll just tell you, just uh, my my understanding is it's probably safer than urine. Um, it, it's protein, and there's nothing else that that could be of risk. So please correct me if I'm wrong, and uh, elaborate and tell me about. What should we be doing, in, in your opinion? Yeah. If we find um, that. Well, I, I, I get it, you know. Uh, I, I, if I do anything wrong, it's I sort of generalize for your industry. I'll say, like, no one ever drinks the water or no one ever poops right. in it. Right, But it, ha- it probably is going to happen from time to time. And in this mm-hmm. one, I sort of get it. The water's really slippery on your skin, and you, someone's going to experiment. And next thing <laughs> you know, you've got, you've got number three in your water. But um, <laughs> I... The, uh, I'll tell you what happened. Like there was, um, 
there was a good study done and I can't, it's just done through the NSF and I can't remember which facility did it. And I don't want to say, cause I can't, I don't want to give the wrong credit to the wrong people, but okay. anyway, they, they sampled float water, typical float water and inoculated it with a bunch of different kinds of organisms. So like bacteria, virus, uh, mold, yeast, and uh, to see what would grow. And nothing, luckily nothing grew. Like everything just sort of stayed the same or it started to die off. That was really good. That's different than a swimming pool where once you put something in, if there's no chlorine, like the, the numbers go off the charts, right? Mm. So um, nothing grows, but at the same time, there was a viral indicator they added. It's a, a bacteriophage they add and it, it behaves a lot like a virus would in, in water. And the virus didn't do anything. It just sort of stayed there which is very typical of viruses. They just sort of hang around mm-hmm. until they find the right host. Mm-hmm. And once they get in the host, then they do all their stuff. Okay. And when I think about semen or other sort of sexual fluids, mm-hmm. I think about sexually transmitted infections yeah. more. I think about the viruses. Okay. Um, uh, that would be like hepatitis uh, B, hepatitis C, HIV. And again, this is all hazard. This is not risk. This is theoretical, not proven, but that's a good, that's a good line of thought to go down is if, if viral indicators tell us that viruses could hang around in there and just wait for the right host, the right opportunity, then we should make sure our systems are equipped to, to get rid of them. Uh Um, the, The thing about UV is it's not very good at killing viruses really good at killing crypto and some of the other bacteria and parasites but it's not that great at viruses so it presents an interesting challenge for the systems that have uv and peroxide okay um and that would probably be if i could design a test right now a study to be done it would be inoculate float water with a viral indicator run it through a uv uv peroxide situation Uh with a with a filter and see what comes out the other end is there, is there a satisfactory level of reduction of that organism? If there was, then great. If not, then hmm, maybe maybe we had this thing all wrong all along and we yeah. should use ozone or something, right? So yeah. um, in, your, in your question about like risks of, you know, all the different doors, um, I think, there, you know, there, this, this, the chance for a viral infection transmission um, yeah, through like seminal release, I guess, is ultimately probably the riskiest of all the ones that, I want to say risk, the one that kind of intrigues me the most of all the three, even, even more so than a total diarrhea. Cause that one, wow. you can't, that one, that one gets noticed, right? You smell it and right, it's sort of right. everywhere and it's pieces everywhere, but there's a, there's a chance that, uh, I don't know. Have you ever had to deal with this event in, in, in a tank? I don't know what it looks like if somebody like ejaculates in a tub, but is there a chance it might go unnoticed? I don't know. Um, I th- yeah, that's a good question, right? Because we, we wouldn't be able to say uh, one way or another necessarily. Like, if, if we don't see it, we don't know yeah. it, you know? Um, I think that also goes to how people are inspecting their tanks after. I know yes. some people yeah. buy these fancy float tanks, and they just push the button from mm-hmm. up front, and their float tank runs. Um, mm-hmm. We have came across this, and it was immediately noticeable. Immediately. Okay. And, was... and likewise for us as well, yeah. Floating yeah. on top the surface and whoa, 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 hold up, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we got an issue here. And, um, but 
you know, if that was something that, you know, someone did flick it on and it did go in that suction and went through your pump and your filter and everything, that's just busted up and, and splat everywhere in your tank. So it may go unnoticed. So that's why every yeah. after every single client, we open the float tank, we go with the skimmer. I've said this before, our manual hand skimmer is our first step of filtration. I say it's yeah. the most important. We grab the hairs, we grab the earplugs, we grab the dead skin, the scabs, whatever may be floating on that water, we grab before it's mixed around, before it's thrown through a filter, before it's thrown through a pump. So um, I just want to take that moment to elaborate. Yeah, so yeah, well, thanks. That after helps me. Building on what Lance said, if, if we go in with a hand skimmer, if we visually see it and grab it with a hand skimmer, uh, would, would that, do you think that would lower the hazard? drastically yeah, yeah. or would you be concerned about <laughs> the, the the micro amounts that could be could be left well for out? sure again kind of two different things so again um removing like treating it like any other sort of unexpected contamination event is important like okay. got to do something to get rid of what you can see and then what what do you do about the invisible stuff right do you cycle it for longer mm -hmm. um more exposure to the disinfectant whatever that is, a light or ozone. But um, again, to get ill, you have to like, it has to enter the next person. So it'd have to be like an infective dose remaining. And somebody would have to come in next that it was able to enter their body. And I don't know if that's been shown can happen yet. Hmm. So hmm. very, very theoretical. Like I'm not portraying that like people can get viral, viral infections from float tanks. It's just like, if we were going to look anywhere, I'd look there right now. Because I, I don't okay. think the bacteria do well enough to to worry about them. Um, they can't even get into our body sort of thing. But when I describe like, you know, there's some tingling around the end of my penis, you know, <laughs> when I float and right, there's a right. viral in there. They, that's where I sort of go, well, let's, let's look at that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it, it sort of points me in that direction, right? So I, um, I would say that, but I'm not saying... Um, anything around there's a risk shown or like this is what we know it's just sort of the reason we take samples of water is to tell us a story and that's the story that i sort of read from that was um, pseudomonas doesn't do very well in there that's a very common like skin pathogen uh, yeah. not even a pathogen to skin infection you get in hot tubs um, viral virus just hung around you know and so um, those studies were done in the absence of any sort of disinfectant strategy. And I think that's important to note. So we can say, you know, the textbooks tell us UV, UV doesn't kill um, viruses very well. But we've never tested all this in a float tank environment. So that's what we need to do to be able to de definitively say this is a real issue or not. But, you know, for your one, two, go back to your like, you know, door one, two, and three <laughs> analogy, I would say, I mean, I'm most intrigued by the like, um, the sort of the sexual thing sexually transmitted sort of infection idea um because i can't rule that out you know i can't i can't um yeah so, I, but I, again I'm that's you surprised know and that's so interesting yeah um you know i don't i don't want to keep you too much longer on uh, the special evening <laughs> I, <laughs> I i do i want to ask one more and gosh i also i want to give lance and amy to ask any any follow-up questions as well but i i did want to while you were on talk about alkalinity and ph and i was curious if you could describe uh what they do in a pool setting and mm -hmm. and an in inflow tank setting um and well yeah can can we just start there 
Yeah, for sure. So pH um, for chlorine to work well and bromine as well, you need to have it at the right pH range. pH is a is like a scale. You've heard of like acid and base, mm -hmm. basic and acid, like 14 point scale. Uh, you'd like it to be somewhere in the middle for your chlorine or bromine to work well in a pool environment. Mm -hmm. um, alkalinity is sort of like a puppet master as it relates to pH. So yeah, yeah. Uh, for pH to remain stable, the alkalinity needs to be at a certain range. Mm -hmm. um, but if the alkalinity is too low or too high, nobody's going to get sick in that water. It just might mean that the pH bounces around or it doesn't stay consistent. So it can, and, it can present challenges. And so that, that's true with the alkalinity. Can pH get to the point where it can be uncomfortable on somebody's scalp or on their skin in general? Yeah, yeah, in a swimming pool, I think so. Yeah, we have a range usually, like in Alberta, it's 6.8 to 7.6. So right around the basic, sorry, sorry the basic, the neutral. Uh, seven is neutral on the scale, and so right around there is where you'd want it to be. But um, yeah, as you start to stray away from neutral, it can become less comforting to the eyes probably first and then the skin later. So so that the scale that you like it within or the, the range that you like it within is uh, for both like comfort of the, I was gonna say floater, the floater or the swimmer, uh, but also for um, uh, where the pH is gonna be stable as well. Or excuse me, where, yeah, the, where it's gonna keep the um, bromine or the chlorine the, stable? The, to, yeah, to keep it effective, yeah. So effective. you could have a, like a, you could have like tons of chlorine in your water and think that you're disinfecting the water but if the ph is too high very there's really no disinfection going on it's kind of crazy crazy thing so yeah now as it relates to your particular situation um i don't think your basins need to be halogenated or you know brominated or chlorinated if you will because for a lot of reasons like I, no one's really shown that that works in your environment and why would we add a chemical when it seems to be doing just fine on its own? So, right, there's, um, so if we don't have chlorine or bromine, I really don't worry about pH. I mean, you might, I might want to, I might be curious to know what it is from a bather comfort standpoint, but if it's not related to disinfection at all, so for instance, if you're telling me that your uh, pods or tanks use uh, UV light and peroxide as your disinfection strategy, pH is almost irrelevant because that disinfection happens in the absence of pH, like it's not controlled by it. Um, so again, with, um, yeah, that's, and the same thing with alkalinity, like uh, the alkalinity doesn't matter because it's not controlling pH in your environment. Right, right. So I, I, you know, our, in Alberta, our um, sort of guidance document for inspectors doesn't really even ask them to look at pH because it doesn't relate to the chlorine performance or the bromine performance. Um, so again, um, here's another sort of like unintended consequence of making a tank be brominated or chlorinated is it implies that you're going to have to add chemicals, right? So if you have to have a bromine residual of 3.0, um, at some point you're going to have to add more bromine to the water, but for the bromine to work, you're going to have to test that water to see if the pH is right. Uh -huh. If the pH is out then you need to add some acid or add some base in there to balance that. So now we've added like, we got to have like three chemicals on hand now, mm -hmm. and then that could alter your alkalinity. So now you got to have alkalinity up or alkalinity down, mm -hmm. and now you're adding five chemicals to your, <laughs> right. your tiny little basin of right. 300 gallons of water. Yeah. It's just so 
so we can say, yeah, you should chlorinate it, but really, really what I hear is have all these chemicals on hand and then you get it going to get flack for not storing them properly. Like, you know, wow. just, it starts to like you know, create the snowball effect yeah. where, um, one decision has like all of these other sort of consequences. That's all oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's sort of the, uh, another thing to consider when you're being told to use chlorine or bromine is what, what you're really being told is to have like five different chemicals on hand. And, you know, not to mention the fact that you can't even accurately test for chlorine or bromine or pH in these tanks. Like it's just, it's not pools, right? So the pool yeah. test kits don't work. So anyway, I'm going off on a tangent here. It's a great tangent. This has been do. so <laughs> insightful. Thank you so much. Can, can you tell uh, where anyways, my uh, any... heart is? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And thank you for that. Cause I, I don't yeah. necessarily think that's true for all, <laughs> all uh, health inspectors. Yeah. Um, Amy and Lance, any, any last sure. uh, questions? Yeah, I, I do. Um, so is there one thing or one or two things that you can tell us if, is there a good practice that we should be engaging in as a float center, myself or anyone, that will kind of up our cl our cleanliness game? Mm, nice. What What do you think is being overlooked or what do you think that we really need to be doing? Or what's your suggestion for that? Yeah, um, again, uh, I don't want to like overgeneralize. Sometimes I speak too much in favor of your industry and say like things never happen. So like mm. people always shower before or people always shower after. Mm. It's just they're very likely to do those things because of the nature of like what, how you set up your, your studios, right? Mm. Um, but there's going to be the odd time something bad or something like unscripted happens. Um, and yeah, I would just say, you know what? Um, We've been, you know, we've been in Alberta, we've been to facilities where we've seen like scum line on, you know, where the, where the water ends and the pod starts and yeah. right at that level, you like, you know, that scum builds there. Um, you know, elbow grease, I guess, is the missing ingredient sometimes. <laughs> and uh, um, again, like it's, it's your nose, it's your eyes, it's your hands. Those are probably your most effective tools to make a good first impression for your clients, but also for us too. If, cool. if we see like a scum line, um, we might be more interested to sample the water and see what bacteria mm -hmm. might be in there. And if we find bacteria, we might have questions and it could just snowballs from there. So if you're, it's that first impression every day sort of mentality that I would sort of recommend. Yeah. That's interesting. So it's not just, just the checklist, but it's also the impression you give and how you relate with, with your government. Yeah. <laughs> Before, before you even pull out like a test kit or a chemical, use your hands, eyes, and nose, right? And just see like, <laughs> does this look dirty? Does it smell bad? You know, yeah. all those things. And I think go from there. Yeah. And, and Dylan, just to add to what you just said, it's true. Uh, we are regulated as a pool, but we were able to re request and get a few variances approved on the condition of if we walk in and we see something mm. that we don't like, or we mm. smell something that we don't like, we're gonna revisit this and things might change. So yeah, first impression means everything because it, you know, it costs us so much. You know, we don't have a big profit margin. So all those right. little things, if we have to put in new <laughs> ventilation system, we have to do that, it, it matters. So those yeah. things are awesome, those mm -hmm. things count. Yeah. Jason, is there anything you wanna add before we wrap up here? Um, no, I mean, uh, let's do it again sometime. Uh, I would I love think that. We sort of, scratch the surface I know, um, right? <laughs> like i said i feel like there's lots going on in the industry right now and i'm 
trying to keep my ear to the ground too and see how I can contribute. So, cool. um, yeah, I might have more information in a little bit of time, but this is, yeah, it's been awesome. Um, tell you a little bit about health inspectors and what we do and put a face to the profession. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. For Thanks that. for the opportunity. Um, I know we're all really appreciative and I know our listeners are going to eat this one up. This is absolutely great information. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, awesome. And I hope you have a lovely date night tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Jason. Have a great night. No problem. Yeah, thanks. To our list. To our listeners, I just want to say, uh, remind you again that we are, have a our first virtual roundtable discussion of 2017 on March 1st, and our topic is defining your brand, which is such an important discussion. So our entire community is getting together, and that's what we're going to be delving into. Of course, Lance, Amy, and I, and Brian uh, are all doing our research beforehand to make sure that we can make this just the most effective product you can get. Uh, when when we get together for two hours on March 1st, 5.30 Pacific time. So go to artofthefloat.com forward slash roundtable if you want to, uh, or if you're interested. And again, just to remind you today, if you're listening to this on February 16th is the last day uh, to get a discount on that. So um, check it out soon. And otherwise, uh, we'll see you next week.